Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. Yes. Finally. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back to the pod. How are you today, ma'am? Ma'am, very good. <laughs> I like your space buns. Nobody Thanks. can see you but me, but I'm really enjoying them. They're super I'll put cute. Them against the white background for you. <laughs> Went to Walmart like this and everything. I, I have like it. a little tiny hotline bling Drake on my sweater too. I was feeling pretty hip today. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so cool. I don't have enough hair kidding. yet for those little buns, but maybe one day. You could do them down low. I could. Yep. Do your buns down low. Do they wobble? <laughs> I'm well, just really trying to lighten the mood because I know today is going to suck. Yeah, we have a bit of a different episode for everybody today. It's, I almost want to call it like the sibling to our residential school episode that we did last year. I think it was last year oh, in agreed. June or July that that episode went up. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I do highly recommend going and taking a listen before today's episode because they are so related and we do give a lot more background information into kind of like what was going on with the government at that time i mean i am going to go into it a bit today um but they 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 are really like symbiotic yeah a lot of people were victims of the school as well as what we're about to talk about so yeah yeah exactly so, and yeah go ahead yeah. no i'm just fumbly with my words right now apparently mm, same good thing you're good at editing do you have anything to share do we have anything to talk about before we get into the story should we just get right in no i mean i'm so over these fucking stink bugs but that's about it stink bugs do you not have stink bugs at your house right now i don't know they look like they're wearing a little shield on their back, and there's like a fartload of them right now. I don't think so. The only bugs that I don't like at my house are like the clicking ones. <laughs> you mean grasshoppers? No, I think they're like a form of beetle, but they make a really loud clicking sound, and they fly through the air, and they're just No, horrible. those are grasshoppers. They're like click, 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 click. Yeah, oh, those are, are grasshoppers. They? Oh. Um, no, stink bugs. They look like a little armored shield guy, and they're apparently like an infestation right now. Oh. Like, we're not supposed to put them back outside. You're supposed to kill them. I'm not doing it, per se. Interesting. Okay. I just I can't, but apparently we're like in for it with them. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, that's horrifying, and I didn't know that. But what we're talking about today is more horrifying, so... It is. I'll keep the bugs. We can just get into it, I think. Yeah. So I did want to start off today. We don't usually do disclaimers before the beginning of episodes, but I did want to give a disclaimer today that today's episode will contain stories of the abuse endured by uh, Indigenous people at residential schools and um, so-called Indian hospitals that may be triggering. Support for Indigenous survivors and their families is available. The KUAS Crisis Line Society offers 24-7 support at 250-723-4050 adults, 250-723-2040 for youth, or toll-free at 
588-8717. And um, you can also access the 24-7 National Indian Residential School Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419. So I just wanted to give that little heads up before we start. Of course, if you clicked on the episode, we are talking about the Indian hospital system in Canada. Um, yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's a very matter of fact episode today. It is. So Indian hospitals were started by the Canadian federal government to control and isolate the healthcare of indigenous people in Canada and really ramped up just after the Second World War, which ended in 1943. At their start, they were supposed to be limited to people with tuberculosis. However, they did become the sole medical provider for Indigenous people and admitted people based on race, not disease. Many yeah, they of thought they wanted to keep, like, Indian TB separate from non-Indigenous people. Yeah, yeah, and we like, will totally talk about all the kind of... The things that surrounded that. Yeah, yeah. The prejudices that were imposed on Indigenous people at that time were pretty terrible. But many of the health gaps that we do see today between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people can be a lot of the time partially traced back to Indian hospitals and care inequity. For sure. So we'll take it back oh, just way too far, um, going all the way back to the 1800s. Woo. Indian hospitals had their origins in the federally funded Christian missionary efforts to provide basically like the bare bone minimum medical care on reserves in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. There's the first problem. Yeah, and so at this time, the Federal Department of Indian Affairs was providing limited funding for these kind of like cottage-style hospitals on Mm -hmm. reserves that would be operated by the Christian missionaries. Um, I think we discussed the Department of Indian Affairs a bit on the residential school episode, but before going, like, I'm not going to go too far into it. We did go into it a bit, yeah, but we, a refresh would be good. Yeah, but, like, we could be here for days if we gave, like, the historical timeline of the government's departments and It would pretty much be, like, Canadian history. We'd, like, sit down class. So, here we go. Just going to kind of, like, be a speedy (laughs) speed round. Um... (laughs) The British government established an Indian department to manage Indian affairs in 1755. In 1867, uh, sorry, in 1860, the responsibilities of Indian affairs was transferred to what was then known as the province of Canada. In 1876, the Indian Act was passed and a series of treaties were created between Canada and various Indian bands uh, across the country. The responsibility for Indian affairs and Northern development, as they call it, which is something completely different and kind of more related to like land development and things like that, rested with various government departments between 1873 and 1966. Among the department's original mandate was to promote Western settlement by negotiating these treaties and using other strategies within the Indian Act to gain access to indigenous territories for Western settlement and development purposes, essentially. So stealing land, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
But of course, it was presented as this great option for Look how indigenous we can work people. together yeah. and provide more resources and hand in hand, and it was a bullface lie. Yeah. So at this time, it wasn't unusual for indigenous communities to like they they mostly consulted their own traditional healers and used their own medicines for most things, but they would rely or seek out western uh, medicine to treat illnesses specifically that had been brought by settlers because they didn't know how to deal with them yeah however missionaries and the government um at this point were basically trying to repress the work of the indigenous healers uh, and force them to practice in secret and medical care essentially just became another colonization method yeah and they brought a laundry list of diseases, ailments, illnesses, these settlers. like Yeah, like among just... some of them, TB, smallpox, measles, mumps, yeah. diphtheria, which I don't even know what that is and I didn't diphtheria? have time. Yeah. Do you, do you know what it is? Um, I have, I think, an idea, but in case I'm wrong, I don't want to say it because I'll sound like an idiot. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't have time to look that up. Typhoid, influenza, like this is all things that European settlers brought to these indigenous populations. And they, like from the 19th century onwards, indigenous populations were greatly affected by these diseases. Yeah. Tuberculosis specifically, though, um, seems to have been the most serious problem in the 1930s and 40s. And it seems for some reason that indigenous people were actually a lot more affected by TB. Mm-hmm. Like it was running a lot more rampant through their communities than some of the settler communities. And so, like Katie said, it started being known as, like, quote-unquote, Indian TB. Ugh. And they started really making it, like, a racial disease, which caused a lot of fear around Indigenous people. Which is so stupid, because, like, realistically, they brought all these diseases here. Mm-hmm. This demographic of people was living here off their land, healthy with like these rich ingredients and clean water. And we're actually living, from what I understand, a fairly healthy lifestyle and living quite well. And this just tanked their population. I mean, all these diseases being brought in. Thriving on the lands for hundreds and hundreds of years before. But I mean, their diets were so pure and clean and they were just really like health was just optimal in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways i would think even compared to people who are like the settlers who were just on boats limited food supplies not that healthy kind of scurvy ish yeah i don't know i got opinions don't we all um so during this time the like 1930s 1940s we saw some of the like highest death rates in human history at over 700 deaths per 100,000 people. Um, I imagine the hysteria at this point was probably similar to that that we saw ourselves in 2020 at the start of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, like a similar level of fear around this illness. And indigenous people were actually not welcome in the community settler hospitals that had been built. Um, Some of them would treat them in like a separate 
Um, I'm going to use the word Indian throughout the episode, and that's because that's... It is the proper term. The term that was used back then and the the time frame that I'm talking about. It's not the proper term in the sense that indigenous is the correct terminology that we use today. But in the 30s, it was Indian, and that's actually seen as, like, quite a derogatory term Derogatory term. term. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. Uh, We should have made that same disclaimer at the top of the episode. Um, this is a time and place episode, mm-hmm. very much so, based yeah. on the vocabulary. Yeah. And it is truly, if you Google it or were to do your own research more into this, because this is going to be just such a light overview in the grand scheme of it, Yeah, you will need to search it that way. So just for peace of mind, it's not us being insensitive. Totally. Yep. Boom. So yes, some of the hospitals would treat indigenous people in a separate ward that were known as, quote, Indian annexes, and they were usually in the basement. Um, There was also actually a Yellowknife hospital as an example that uh, confined indigenous patients to a separate 10-bed Indian wing, as it was called, and it had a separate entrance and a separate waiting room. Um, And I found this actually really interesting when I was researching because... Though I am very well versed in the horrible history of Indigenous people in Canada and their treatment, for some reason I never thought of it like um, African American people in the States with like segregated bathrooms and things like that back in the day. And like that's what this screams to me, you know, like like colored bathrooms and white bathrooms. And for some reason, like I had never thought about it that way. In Canada, but like that's a hundred percent what this is. It is. Yeah. That's why it always bothers me too when people are like, Oh, that doesn't happen in Canada. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing in Canada. It's like these things are issues everywhere in the world. Yeah. And I it's know that. I just for totally. some reason in my head it just like I had never but gone everybody there. has those light bulb moments in the like the black and white comparison of like, wow, this is our blank, right? Yeah. Like we, it is. Yeah. Yeah, so, so basically, segregated hospital care was quite normal prior to the in- introduction of these federal Indian hospitals, but the outbreak and the severity of TB specifically caused uh, further fear and further segregation. Mm-hmm. So, the department under, sorry, the government under the Department of Indian Affairs starts taking control of the hospitals away from the churches, back into their own hands, and they essentially start brainstorming how do we best segregate the healthcare system of indigenous people and the rest of the population? And also how do we do it cheap? Yeah. Like how do we do it under the radar and not cost us much money? Like let's just sweep this under the rug, so to speak. And just, I mean, I don't even know if it was like that. They were pretty bold about it. I don't think they really saw anything wrong that they were doing at the time. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of, and I'm not saying this in defense, but I'm just saying, like, because people are ignorant. I wonder if a lot of people had no idea this was even going on, but because... Yeah, I mean, it's the same as, like, there's so many people today that don't even know this happened then. I'm sure there was a ton of people that had no idea this was happening at the time, especially with, like, technological advances now makes it so much easier for things to like go viral quote unquote and stuff like that it gives us so much more access to what's like happening in the now statement when we're talking about tv (laughs) i didn't even mean it like that but you know what i mean like it's so much faster for information to spread now 
Well, I mean, community to community, information was really isolated. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. Uh, also, indigenous people, like, not only were did they have this perceived threat to the public health, but they were also considered, like, not equipped to handle their own health care. It was like they weren't trusted to handle, to take yeah. care of their own health care. They were like, well, they use hokey pokey witchcrafty medicine, so they can't, they can't be trusted. Let's or just even, take care of it for them. Even, like, in their own homes. Like, it was, they, they, yeah. they didn't deem them uh, equipped to take a bottle of pills home and, like, take them all do you not? Do you know what I mean? Like, basic... I mean, guilty. I don't. Like anyone does that. I don't finish my prescriptions frequently. Okay, you should not do that with antibiotics. I know. Don't do that. I've had. I've it's told you bad. the same thing. Huh, girl? We've had the same conversation with each other at different points in our lives. Okay? I don't do so that anymore, though. I haven't get off had the anti- antibiotic ass here. I haven't had <laughs> antibiotics in years. Well, neither have I. And when I did, I didn't finish them. <laughs> okay, so. Indian Health Services became a new department of the National Health and Wellness in 1945, Mm -hmm. and the government opened the first federally funded and operated Indian hospital, as they were called, in 1946 in Edmonton, Alberta. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think we kind of mentioned this at the top of the episode, but these episodes are (laughs) these hospitals, I can't speak today i'm having a brain malfunction so just bear with me i'm trying my best the hospitals were justified by stating that they were only being used to isolate tb patients however it became very quickly evident uh that they were for racial segregation rather than medical segregation yep When announcing the new Indian Health Services Department and the Indian hospitals that were going to be opened, the Minister of National Health and Welfare, Brooke Claxton, announced, quote, Neither law nor treaty impose an obligation on the Dominion government to establish a health service for the Indian and Eskimos. However, for humanitarian reasons, it is... And is very necessary protection to the rest of the population of Canada. It is essential to do everything possible to stamp out disease at its source, wherever it may be within the confines of the country. Um, now, for reference, the term Eskimos is also outdated. It refers to the Inuit people. Inuit people. Um, but yeah. Can I just say everything up to this point, like the way the, the verbiage is, the conversation, the way that the just like horrendous way white people are talking here make it sound like these are animals out in the wild that people should be scared of because they're saying like we're gonna go out there as into like their area mm-hmm. but they're dangerous so mm-hmm. let's control them confine them da 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 mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be that we made an indian act it's like no they have a human act like just treat it oh it's so annoying and i know it's we all feel the same but i'm just annoyed I mean, it's another reason why the term savages is also considered so derogatory, right? Because that's what they were referred to as and seen as. Yeah. (sighs) We're sorry. We're like 20 minutes in and I already want to scream into a pillow. I know. Uh, 
So the first hospital opened, like I said, 1946 in Edmonton. It was called the Charles Camsell Indian Hospital. It was actually a former residential school that was converted into a medical so facility. Light. Most of the 29 total Indian hospitals that were opened by the government by 1960 were established in buildings the government already owned. So mostly like old either residential schools that were converted and in most cases, in many cases, old military facilities. The right floor plans, things like that. But again, these are like holder distressed buildings. So they're already getting the bottom of the barrel. They absolutely did not have the right layouts for what they were being used for because remember like these were used by the department of national defense as military hospitals for men only so they're essentially just these big huge open wards yeah and they were very very inappropriate yeah for treating we'll get to more of that men women children all at the same time um I mean, we can talk about it now. Literally all the maternity wards, illness wards, emergency, everything was all open and in the same place. Like imagine someone's next to you getting a, like a guy's next to you getting a cast put on and you're sitting there delivering a baby while someone else over there is getting a pap smear while someone else over there is putting stitches in a little kid's forehead, like all in the same room. Like maybe behind the curtain, maybe not, but it wasn't appropriate at all. No. But yeah, the military buildings were essentially just these like big, large open wards that were used as military hospitals previously. And the government did not put very much funding into them to convert them properly (laughs) into... You don't say. An appropriate facility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're not shocked. Also like provided really limited funding to like provide necessary renovations to prevent like the spread of disease for example to like actually segregate tb patients because Mm -hmm. again they originally said that they would only use them for that which in that case kind of might make sense although like well even the one big room kind of makes sense in a way like if you're treating multiple patients with the same treatments and there's like distance between them might make more sense it would have but, maybe been more appropriate, but I'm not going to give any. No, but there's just a difference here. of laying in bed sick, so to speak, as opposed to getting a wide variety of any medical treatments. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. They offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for good food today using the code free podcast by proxy to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your good food account to get a classic box on us. Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. 
If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. The hospitals didn't permit any indigenous medicines, midwives, holistic notions of illness and treatment. Um, Patients were transferred to hospitals where absolutely nobody spoke their language. I was going to say, they can't ask in your language for help or explain what's wrong. Or consent. There was a lot of consent issues because most patients or a lot of patients anyways didn't know what they were consenting to. Mm -hmm. Um... Later on, though, which we will get into a little bit more later, but the hospitals did eventually start employing indigenous workers at, like, lower lower level positions um, when they were on reserve. So they let the people of color, like, clean up or be in the building? Essentially, but they did end up being able to kind of serve as translators between the patients and the medical staff a lot of the time, which I guess is I mean, that is incredible, but why are they in lower positions? Again, I'm just annoyed. The death rates among indigenous people, specifically um, children in residential schools due to TB, was way worse than the numbers that I said just a few minutes ago for the general population. Mm -hmm. And the residential schools and the Indian hospitals had like quite a symbiotic relationship in that the residential schools were super overcrowded. Uh, the children were malnourished. The environment made them susceptible to disease. Again, I highly recommend listening to the, our episode on residential schools. Or and do... those are just the physical attributes to the system. These yeah, yeah. Psychological, like this. Yeah. yeah, it's a laundry list. Yeah, or like do any of your own research on residential schools. Whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do. I, you don't have to listen to me talk again. Um, Thank God. But the children who <laughs> became infected with TB were sent to the Indian hospitals and then when they showed signs of recovery they were sent back to the school and so just helped both of the organizations. Like while they're at the, at the hospital they're strapped to a bed or a gurney 24 Correct. hours a day except to use a bedpan yeah. or like eat. But you eat in your bed. Yeah but this this kind of like connection between the terrible conditions at both of these places. Yeah. Meant so we'll that make it... them sick. You'll make them better. It's just well, and it made that maintain the numbers for both. Yeah. Right. Like it just kind of kind of kept them kept them going. It was like the left hand children, shaking which the right is just hand, like, kind of. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just that good old handshake. Yeah. So the government had actually had two hospitals that they built, but had delegated operation to the Church of as like a blueprint for which mm-hmm. to operate their own federal hospitals um, in the '30s. So this is when medical care was still in the hands of the churches, but they had used these two hospitals. So Fort Capel in Saskatchewan and Dynavore in Manitoba. And they had figured out that they could operate these hospitals at half of what it cost them to operate a community settler hospital. And basically that way they could still garbage. They could still like provide and control the healthcare of indigenous people while still improving their own settler health care with these and image with these funds that they would save and yeah, yeah i mean that too but you know it made them feel good about all the shit they were taking away from people and killing them so yeah and i i mean i don't know but all everything that i read like they really presented it as they were doing indigenous people a favor right where 
or helping yeah, them. Yeah, well, if I want to get away with something, I try to make it someone else's idea too. You or, should be you know. grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you should be thanking us for what we did for you, blah, 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 blah. No, you brought these diseases here. We wouldn't have needed the treatment in your shit facilities if you hadn't brought the diseases here to begin with. She's not wrong. I know. <laughs> at, so at the same, just as an example, at the same time the Indian hospitals were being opened, the same organization that opened them, National Health and Welfare, which I think the first time I said this when we were talking just now, I said National Health and Wellness, which like, I don't think wellness was a word in the 30s, so maybe just disregard That's me That's like your very millennial, like, it's definitely like plan National like Health and Welfare. Benefits plan. Yeah. <laughs> Not okay. Um, so correction. But they, so it's the same organization. They're opening Indian hospitals. At the same time, they receive grants as well as matching federal funds to be absolutely pumped into provincial uh, hospital construction for settler communities. Um, the program right. started in 1948. It lasted for two decades, so the same amount of time as the Indian hospital system. And provided $13 million annually to the provinces to build new community settler hospitals. In the first five years of the project, Canada added 46,000 new hospital beds. And every year for a decade, 30 new modern hospitals were built for settler communities. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of these facilities are buildings we use to this day and age or their sites or things like we've learned from these having these practices here. But holy fuck. Well, and I think that that's a good thing to remember, though, when you consider your own health care, like what people basically sacrificed or just like yeah. think about the history behind it and be really grateful that you have that like we have a lot of med modern medical advances because we had people in these roles doing these things which you know i don't necessarily say that the people working in the hospital are they're not the bad people we got a lot of advancements and knowledge from them no i think that the just people that to decided remember. to build these hospitals yeah can kick rocks it's just good to remember as settlers or like descendants of settlers that we enjoy a lot of things at the expense of an entire group of people mm -hmm. and i think that that's the piece that we never really learned yeah yeah in 1953 the indian act was amended to include the indian health regulations which made it a federal crime for indigenous people to refuse to see a doctor refuse to go to the hospital and to leave before discharge. So yes, you heard that correctly. Uh, the It was illegal to refuse to go to Indian hospitals for indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So not only are we controlling the healthcare, we're controlling the fact that they must use said healthcare. Yeah. The RCMP would actually arrest patients, return them back to the hospital, return them back to residential school, or send them to jail. Um, the hospitals also refused to return people who did not survive back to their communities and their families for a, so that like they an could. an example? Sorry? Like make an example of them kind of thing? 
No, no, no. Like, they would not send back their bodies so that they could have, like, a celebration oh. of life or anything, like, culturally. Um, and unless... that's a very, very intricate and precise cultural process for an Indigenous person when they pass away for their family to go through, from, like, washing the body to wrapping it and all these steps. It's very important. Well, they would allow it if the relatives could pay the costs, but they which wouldn't just send them back. Which couldn't. Yeah. Many of these people were, like, extremely far away from home, like, provinces away from home and couldn't afford... Which also was intentional. They would send you to a residential school out of province. And, like, I'm sure they made it difficult. I'm sure it wasn't easy. You would have to, like, you know... No, I mean, we already ripped our kids from their beds. We're not going to give them back easy. So, anyway, that's, yeah, just a whole nother piece of that. Um, brutal. <laughs> Like, there's nothing more to say there. There's nothing, no. Mm-mm. Because the goal of the hospitals, though, were to operate them at as little cost to the government as possible, Indian Health Services had a really difficult time finding medical professionals that were willing to work in these facilities that were overcrowded, underfunded. Or poor. even qualified at that point, because you're probably getting people who will work for little because of a reason. Well, exactly. I mean, so many medical professionals could just go walk into any brand new settler hospital that always had the brand new technology, um, was clean and well-funded, and it paid a lot less as well to work at the Indian hospitals. So I actually did read somewhere that the patients in the Indian hospitals were very often, like Katie said, treated by foreign doctors who weren't able to be hired at the community Mm -hmm. hospitals because they were deemed unqualified. Now, does this always mean that they were potentially horrible? No. It just means that they they weren't qualified to be a medical professional in Canada, but they were qualified to work there. They just weren't board certified here. Like, that's the bottom line. Also, keep in mind, too, that every race, your medical treatment is slightly different, potentially. Like the same diseases that are prominent within a Caucasian demographic could be completely different with it through an indigenous population or demographic. Yeah. So it's also the knowledge base of treating people as if they're white won't be the proper treatment either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some things will be overlooked because they won't know that it's a common disease to indigenous people. Well, and I mean... They were so understaffed that did they really care? No, they've got bare bones treatment for bare bones dollars. Like at at one point, there was an Indian hospital in Quebec that was operating with 198 patients and three nurses on staff. No doctor, just three nurses? Correct. Wow. Okay. Sounds like our healthcare now sometimes. Okay, even if it was 198 patients and three doctors... Oh, that's still ridiculous. That's still... But the fact that a lot of nurses can't and back then still couldn't administer many things. So could you imagine just running around with all these people with different ailments that you're trying to stay on top of? At at one point, did they just shut the door and ignore them? Well, actually, what they did was just physically restrain them to their beds. 
Yeah. Or put uh, a common method with the kids because kids would often get like really rambunctious because they're kids and you're keeping them there for months to years at a time. So they would, you know, be running around and running under beds and stuff. And um, so if the physical restraint didn't work, they would actually put plaster casts on both of their legs so they physically couldn't walk. Or more even. Like somewhere in full body casts and yeah. Yeah. The conditions and care at the hospitals were commonly justified and not compared to settler community hospitals. It wasn't like common for, they didn't accept a, a, like a comparison apples to apples between settler hospital conditions and Indian hospital conditions. What they were actually comparing them to was their supposed inadequate homes. So it was like, well, this is better than where so they're we're coming saying, from. Like, well, we took you out of your home, which was... In their eyes. Worse than this unlivable, situation. Correct. Yeah. Inhabitable. And, and said like, well, this is better. Can we stop telling people that everything we're doing for them is making their lives better and maybe just ask them if we're making their lives better first? Yeah. Regardless of the situation. I just mean in general. It's good to ask questions for sure. Yeah. Maybe do a check-in every once in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, what up? Assumptions are terrible. They make an ass of you and me. I care. <sighs> I'm constantly making an ass of me. Assumptions are not, so it's okay. Yeah, same. Um, so this this kind kind of like justification that like, oh well, it's better than where you're coming from is similar to me in how like indigenous people were deemed not equipped to handle their own health care. It's kind of just like this assumption that you can't take like, care we'll of yourself. Like we'll do it better. Yeah. Right. Like you yeah, need we'll us do to it take better. Respond. This is too difficult for you. We'll handle it. Yeah. Fuck you. Uh, and the, I don't know if I can say this is the most shocking part to me because it's all shocking. I don't. This is another shocking part. <laughs> yeah, there's not like one part's not more shocking than the other, but it's just wild. So in the 40s and 50s, tuberculosis treatment actually began to change. So instead of months and months to years of bed rest and lung surgery, Modern medicine had evolved and you could now just take medications at home for TB. However, depending on who you are, correct. Indian Health Services continued sending indigenous people to the hospital for years at a time and still considered them so careless with their health that they were not given these modern medications and these modern methods of treating TB. But for, like, a really long period of time, like, 15, 20 years after this was changing, they were still removing their lungs. They're weakening them. They're annihilating them. And they know the mortality rate is high once they're admitted and they have control. Yeah. Yeah, like they went underwent invasive chest surgery and hospital Which supervision. Honestly, just ends up usually getting then getting an infection because the conditions are so bad, which is just like turns into a big tumbleweed of health issues. And that's why also the mortality rate was so high. Yeah, well, then you think of going to a hospital like let's say a province away in the fifties for like two years. There's no cell phones. You have no ability to contact or know where, like, your families are, your siblings, your children, your parents. Like, 
It's not like today where you could just get, like be texting the whole time. It's not like a find my iPhone and you know where everyone in your house is. No. It's no, nothing. You, have to, you like, get out and you're get and a you letter have to like to figure out where you came from and how to get back there if at all possible because a lot of the time people were just like sh- shuttled into big aircrafts or buses or like thrown onto trains and then when they were released from the hospital it was just like bye. One well, you're strapped to a bed for two years. A lot of the stories that I was listening to were saying like a lot of people got out of bed and had like zero muscles in their legs. Yeah. So even when they were able to be let go or released, so to speak, yeah, their muscles of atrophy. They could barely move themselves places. Yeah. They were so weak. Yeah. That yeah, I just oh my god. In 1949, the Indian Association of Alberta voiced concerns about Charles Campbell Hospital, stating, "Quote: We see old people in the same wards as TB patients and children playing in the same rooms where old people are lying sick." We fear fear there is great danger of infection spreading under such conditions. These concerns were dismissed due to malcontents. So they disregarded the the claims, in other words. Yeah, not enough evidence. It's a fancy way of, yeah. Because the records from these hospitals were so poorly kept, we have to rely heavily on former patients speaking out about their experiences to really know and understand what happened inside the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Many patients chose to share their experience during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and most had really been like previously unable to speak about their experience at the hospitals due to the trauma associated with them. A lot of people talked about just really pushing out of the out of their memory and not remembering for years and years and years. Um, you know having their families and their parents tell them, you know, not to talk about it out of fear of retaliation or repercussion. Um, Or what if someone overhears you and think you've escaped or you should be back there or something's wrong and you just never know. You never want to associate yourself with it. Yeah. Like we said earlier, most of the patients in the hospitals were really far from home and had such a limited understanding of the language spoken, um, which made it really difficult to understand or consent to their treatment. Patients have spoken of having lungs removed, which involves having a section of your ribs connecting to the spine cut off and causes essentially permanent ailments you'd almost disability, think you'd have like scoliosis naturally like it, you you'd think that some type of structural support i don't know it just feels like something would be really fucked up with your back after yeah people who survived these procedures were left with difficulties walking and breathing for the rest of their life Ugh. um there has been testimony of sexual abuse at the indian hospitals like katie mentioned being shackled to beds sometimes for years at a time only getting up to you know go to the bathroom sometimes being brought a bedpan it wasn't uncommon for indigenous people to be committed to the hospitals for months up to years um there is unofficial records of sterilization medical experiments against patients consent and consistent testimony of being tied and shackled to hospital beds for extremely lengthy periods of time 
I think the one for me that just doesn't come up enough when I'm doing this research is the sterilization of I knew you were gonna say that. indigenous and females in Alberta specifically. I don't know what why it was in Alberta that it was such a huge practice, but it was. Um, and for some reason, that one's always glossed over to me. Yeah, I'm not sure why I get that it's like there's maybe not in like on record as much proof of that but Mm -hmm. there's been so many victims come forward and it's something that can be proven yeah so why do we not talk about it more yeah that that one's just so severe to me and it just i don't don't it's such a violation because again i don't even as someone like as a woman you don't want to be told yes or no you can't have kids you just want to know you have the option to if you want to and that's completely taken away from them yeah yeah. And these sterilizations were to like young teenage girls. Yeah, and a lot of like the time just through young. medical experimentation. Yeah, just seeing what was in there, what they could do with it, what this did, what that did. It was like just poking and prodding. They it's essentially disgusting. dissected them because they were different. Yeah. 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 And we know that sounds harsh, people, but that's the truth. That's the truth. It, it, it was that bad. There are childhood accounts of uh, having entire sets of teeth forcibly removed without anesthesia and being tied down and force-fed alcohol. Uh, I read in a few places, actually, like just before we were recording, and I threw this in at the last minute. Patients were often denied, and of course, I already knew that I'm sure that they were malnourished and, you know, like not fed healthily although i did read somewhere that someone who was at a residential school and then was transferred to an indian hospital was like yeah i didn't think it was that bad because at least i got three meals a day and i didn't have to go to prayer so i guess maybe then some of them the the (laughs) menu was a little better way to look at the cap half full buddy but uh, yeah no kidding (laughs) but i did read that patients were often denied food and forced to eat their own vomit yeah i was i actually watched the video and i remember watching it like at Truth and Reconciliation Day last year um, of watching like that specific statement being told by someone. And she said like she was like sick and they made her eat something. And as she went to smell it, it made her ill. And yeah, she threw up on her plate and the nurse hit her in the head with something and made her eat the whole tray, vomit included, as a child. That's vile. That is fucking disgusting. And these are kids that were like six. And just goes to show you that they weren't treated as human beings. No. No. So speaking to the consent portion, there's a memo from 1946 when official federal hospitals were opened. And it reads, quote, I do not think consent of parents for open TB cases should be stressed too much. It should be taken for granted. So, yeah. Um, Again, they're just, like, not that shy about what they're doing. No, I didn't realize, I mean, in the process that there was such bold outward statements made like that. Yeah. I knew there was one or two, but they're they're coming at the plenty is what I'm learning. And I do think that because this level of thinking was being so pushed and was becoming the norm amongst communities at this time, that that's why we haven't seen as much of this as we might have expected to or why we're like why didn't anybody like why how i think it's just that you know the masses yeah think what they're fed and this is what they were being fed at this time 
Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like a lot, there are, I'm sure, within these systems, like you said, people who weren't allowed to work in the so to quote unquote normal hospital, like they're no less than. Yeah. They're not. No. There's no reason they shouldn't be allowed to practice yeah. medicine. There's still some good people in the Indian hospital even, and it's because it's just they've just been put there because they're quote unquote not good enough or they're different. Yeah. Ugh. Fort Capella Indian Hospital in Saskatchewan is documented to have conducted experimental trials of the BCG vaccine for tuberculosis on indigenous infants without parental consent. So they experimented so with... So like while they're in the nursery, they're just... Yes. Shitting them up with medications. With TB vaccines that they're Great. experimenting so an, on. So an active virus in a newborn baby. Yeah. Um, Great. They, they okay. did study these children for 12 years. Did many of them survive the 12 years? Uh, yeah, it, it basically said, like, the ones that did survive didn't get TV, or, like, most of them didn't get TV, but there was a large amount of the children that didn't survive, but they couldn't really prove... That it was because of TV? Right, because, like, they were going to residential schools and things like that. Right? Because yeah. the trial for this was started by on patients by Dr. George Ferguson in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, so they weren't really able to prove that the children in the study they died because of the vaccine yeah. experiment because they were attending residential schools, which already had such a high mortality rate for children. So it's like just basically a shit storm. Like literally they're saying like, oh, they went to a residential school. So it could have been any number of things. It's like, a storm of white people doing terrible fuck. things. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable with my 100%. own percent. I made a joke earlier because again, like I said, I was like, I'm just trying to cut the tension. I just, yeah. We're supposed to... You should be uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable, for sure. No, I don't mean you. I mean all of us. Oh, yeah. We all should be uncomfortable, for sure. Now, while the hospitals, like this trial, while the hospitals weren't run by the government at that point, when this experimental trial was taking place, the Department of Indian Affairs and the National Research Council still funded this project. They were still involved. Of course they were. Charles Campbell Indian Hospital also undertook a TB drug trial in 1956, as well as clinical trials of a thyroid-stimulating hormone for a study of hyperthyroidism in, quote, native races. Oh. And this Again. is what I meant by maybe my a little bit, like, harsh comment dissection. Because to me, that means, like, you're, you're doing an experiment, you're... You're learning mm-hmm. about something, and like they were literally using live human beings to. Hey, you're a walking experiment. You're a walking petri dish. It just it's it's just horrible. I don't know. It's just that's how I feel about the level of human that they were being treated as, which to me was none. No, they were being treated like caged animals mm-hmm. that people couldn't trust, and that was the farthest thing from yeah. Now, Katie and I, as you guys already know, or if you're new here, now you're going to know, are from Vancouver Island in British Columbia. And so often we will kind of weave in something to do with locally if we can or if it's relevant. Gotta bring it back. So Nanaimo, BC, which is kind of in the middle of where both of us live, had its 
own Indian hospital. The Nanaimo Indian Hospital was opened in 1946, and it operated for 21 years, closing in 1967. Between 1946 and 1967, the hospital saw more than 14,000 patients from across Vancouver Island. The Nanaimo Indian Hospital was located in a lot across from what is now Vancouver Island University, which is where I went to school. And it, Me too, but different campus. True. I went to school in the Nanaimo <laughs> campus, and I actually vividly remember, like, hearing about yeah. the property and, like, not really knowing until later in school when I kind of, like, did cover yeah. more of those topics. But, yeah, it was definitely something that, like, wasn't a secret around campus. No, and I, I, even when I was reading about it and getting my own little knowledge base, the first one was an an archive from BIU. So I don't think it's even like the university hides it. They're owning that it's there and that's where it was and this is the history of it. Yeah, Vancouver Island University has a lot of um, really good Indigenous like programming and resourcing as well. So it definitely isn't afraid shying away from any history there. Um, the Nanaimo Indian Hospital was second in size nationally to the Charles Campbell Hospital in Edmonton. The hospital had 210 beds, and the building was actually demolished in 2004. Good. I do kind have of. a couple of survivor kind of like testimony stories that I kind of pieced together from some news articles of survivors of the Nanaimo Indian Hospital. I hope I didn't spoil any of them with my blurbs that I was giving out. So no, I don't think Sorry. so. You might know a little bit about these ones as well because they're um, local. There, there's some people that are like more willing or more wanting to like share deeper parts of their story and some that aren't. And the people that do are usually the ones that we get the news articles on because. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what's here. But it's very brave of them yes, to tell their story. Exactly. It's incredibly brave of them. And yeah. I'm not, you know, there's no right or wrong way to. No, thank you for telling your story. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't want to act like it's like better one way or another. I think. Yeah. Whatever way I you want to. Anyway. You do you. Joan Morris was a survivor of the Nanaimo Indian Hospital. Um, she goes by the name Joanie. 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 She was placed and kept there when she was two and five years old, uh, one of those times for two years straight, and she left the hospital in 1952 and didn't go back. Oh, goodness. Okay. She recounts that she was restrained and unable to move for most of her time at the hospital, so two years. The only time she remembers being free was during mealtime or to go to the bathroom. Um, And she also just, like, kind of talked about how her mom and uncle had also been survivors of the hospital. And um, just, like, the the health toll that it took on her mom. Like, there's, like, a photo mm-hmm. of when she first goes in and she's, like, really young and happy. And then a couple of years later she comes out and she looks really sickly and just worn down and unhealthy. Like quite aged as well. Just the yeah. poor conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Though another survivor of the Nanaimo Indian Hospital, his name is Melvin Jones, and he has shared his story quite extensively in recent years. Melvin was six years old when he was sent to the Nanaimo Indian Hospital for unknown reasons. 
He was transferred there after only spending two weeks at residential school in Alberta, which is really far from Nanaimo, I might add. He later found in old medical records that he had only contacted TB after arriving at the hospital. So, like, still has no idea why he even ended up there in the first place. Oh my god, I'm, like, crying while you're telling me this, because I do know this story, and this is, like, one that... Yeah, Yeah, you can actually watch video of Melvin speaking, and... Like, you were taken there for no reason. Yeah, it's really, really moving. Maybe Katie can insert, like, a tiny bit of a clip or something, but um, I I do have that video. We can can enter it in, but it's quite a powerful story. Melvin testified that he stayed at the hospital for two years, a six-year-old, was subject to medical experimentation, including an attempt to force him to forget his native language um so he recalls that for an entire year he had shock treatment every day where they would strap him down hook up electrodes to his head and do like shock therapy on him and shocked his temples every single day for a year um and he believes that the shock treatment was used on children for speaking their native languages yeah i also know of a few people who their like elder family members were victims and some people had their tongue split like a snake yeah so that they couldn't speak anymore because a lot of the language requires very specific tongue movements and they knew that they couldn't do them that way so just like how can you hate someone so much that you're like it's so hateful that's what i don't understand is like how anyone can hate someone so much and do this kind of thing to like children especially a lot of fear, I think, too, right? Fear, yeah. inferiority. Yeah. Yep. Melvin also recalls being frequently tied to his bed so he wouldn't run away. Um, with difficulty, Mel- uh, Melvin described to news outlets how he had had to watch young girls getting raped and having children um, before sharing that he too was sexually abused at only six years old in the Indian hospital. When Melvin returned home, he was told by his parents not to speak about his experience due to fear of the government and the outside world, which is what they called any place off the reserve. Mm Mm-hmm. This caused him to bury the pain of the experience so deeply that he didn't even know what happened to him for many years. Yeah, you get so confused with these, like, super traumatic memories and then suppressing them. You almost don't know what's real and what's not. Yeah. Now, of course, we've explained it, kind of, but these Indian hospitals were only just, like, a very tiny, small fraction of the pie that made up the colonization tactics and general abuse and mistreatment of indigenous people and so um melvin he eventually did return home of course but he was removed from his home again during the 60s scoop which i believe we did talk a little bit about in our residential schools episode he says he attempted suicide twice throughout childhood uh he later ended up in a juvenile detention center before I mean, this part just, like, absolutely amazes me. He realized he was on a bad path and reached out for help. 
After that, Melvin went back and finished high school. He graduated college, and he went on to start his own security service in the movie industry. Good for him. Isn't that just such like, a... Like, what a crazy job, I too. I love it's a just comeback like, story. What do I want to do? And I was rooting for Melvin the whole time, and I was just like, yes, this is ending yeah. so well. I'm so, like, I love that. And he... his video, he is so strong the way he talks. Mm-hmm. Like, he's so just like clear and concise about what happened but he's not like too divulgent of details and it's like you're right it's so powerful what he's able to convey yeah it really wasn't until about 10 years ago that melvin's memories of his time at the hospitals began to flood back to him he actually tells a story about how he like blacked out in the shower um which is just so like you're so traumatized by those memories that when they flood back they literally like short your circuit yeah like i truly can't even imagine what that would feel like i know i haven't been through trauma that that's that's deep that's that deep that i can even begin to understand what that feels like but i'm really so glad that melvin like he's threatened and i'm really glad he didn't let that like take him down again yeah, right, like, like he, he was he doing well, around. his memories start coming back, and that could have just as easily sent him off yeah. a completely different path totally. again. Yeah, yeah, So good right. for him. Yeah. Every day I got strapped down and got these electrodes into my head, you know, and for, for, a, good, for a good year I've had the shock treatment. Seeing these girls getting raped, having children it's very very hard excuse me it only gets better when it's out in the open don't keep it bottled inside the hospitals of course began closing in 1967 with the introduction of medicare in 1968 The government began planning to fund community hospital expansion to accommodate Indigenous patients and close the Indian hospitals. The last hospital was shut down in 1981. Some Indigenous bodies, um, such as Treaty 6 specifically, resisted the government's plans to close the hospitals because by this point, some of the hospitals, like I mentioned earlier, were providing wage labor to Indigenous communities. I truly think that they were kind of just like happy that they were getting some form of medical care and maybe in the dark a little bit to what was actually happening at the Indian hospitals because nobody was really coming home and talking about their experiences because they were too scared. And so, yeah, there was just a lot of fear around like what that would look like when they closed, but they, they did. And It makes me feel about people's like hesitancy or like the taboo around talking about your mental health back then. Like, no, 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 you're fine. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Like that kind of like you're struggling so bad. Yeah. Though they did eventually close, the legacy of Indian hospitals continues to have a lingering impact in the fear and distrust many elderly Indigenous people have of modern medical professionals, which of course trickles down systemically. Um, Generational down generations, yeah. 
On January 25th, 2018, it was announced that a $1.1 billion class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of Indigenous people who were subject to treatment at the 29 federal Indian hospitals, including the Nanaimo Indian Hospital in the Federal Court of Canada. The lawsuit alleges what we have talked about today, that the hospitals were overcrowded, poorly staffed, unsanitary, and that patients were subject to widespread physical and sexual abuse, which is alleged to have included medical experimentation, beating with rods and sticks, physical restraint to beds. In an affidavit to the court, uh, SFU, which is Simon Fraser University, Professor Mary Ellen Kelm wrote, quote, The system of Indian hospitals was subject to a number of concerning issues that relate to segregation, inadequate standards of care, medical, pharmaceutical, and surgical experimentation with limited opportunities for informed consent, institutional practices that were assimilatory in intent and practice, and that were known to produce alienation and compromise Indigenous communities and families. All these concerns were systemic because they were designed into the system. (laughs) I didn't ask for any of this. Yeah. This was a system put in place to control and manipulate something that essentially the white government was scared of. Correct. Yes. In 2021, um, a group of people in the First Nations community created a GoFundMe campaign called Find Out uh, Find Our Lost Children to help First Nations on Vancouver Island conduct their own research around sites of former residential schools and the Indian hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, it was said that they decided to organize this GoFundMe fundraiser after hearing the confirmation of the Kamloops to Sequepam, uh, I think I'm saying that right, First Nation in 2021, so that's in Kamloops, B.C., um, when it was announced that they had located the remains of 250 children buried in unmarked graves on the former residential school grounds in Kamloops. So this GoFundMe was started to hopefully help more sites, more First Nations um, bands be able to conduct their own searches for their people. Um, well, I think it was to also provide the money to bring the ground penetrating radar over, correct. wasn't it, too? Yes. Because that's what we needed access to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. On September 15th, 2021, the group gave Nanaimo First Nation, which is in Nanaimo, $77,250 to help the First Nation conduct a search and to identify possible unmarked graves in and around the former grounds of the hospital. They plan to use, just like Katie said, the same ground penetrating radar used to locate the graves in Kamloops to not disturb the ground. A total of $157,050 was raised in the GoFundMe, and the additional monies went to the Ahusat First Nation to support ground-penetrating radar searches at two residential school sites near Tofino, um, the Ahusat Indian Residential School and the Christie Roman Catholic School. Some of the funds will also be used to support the search of historical records, um, which are incredibly difficult to access yeah i could imagine yes chief michael weiss spoke to a room filled with uh, indigenous elders and survivors of both the nanaimo indian hospital and the residential school systems after a ceremony was held to receive the money and said quote our people were treated as less than human 
as medical experiments and disposed of without regard to the sacredness of human life and deposited into unmarked graves in our territory. These are the stories and enormous physical, emotional, and spiritual pain that has been passed down through the generations and carried forward today by our Sinanamo people. At this time, we must bring forward all resources to support the healing of people. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all I have. I did, though, I know I have this one quote, and I don't remember what article she it's from. She always does this. What? I say this like I'm not talking to you. You're always like, and that's it. But I have this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the P.S. The quote is, trauma is passed down from generation to generation, but healing can be too. And I really liked that. I thought that was like a really nice kind of one-liner to end it off. Frankie, why do you always have to get the last word in? Let me have my moment. Anyways, so yeah, that was, I mean, of course, there's so much in between there that I'm sure we didn't cover or we weren't just weren't able to touch on. I mean, I'm sure if it hasn't been done already, somebody could do an entire podcast series on Indian hospitals. Um, Oh, for sure. That's not what we do on this podcast, but I, I really did learn a lot researching this episode and I was really like emotionally charged at certain times and I was like you know I, I know that I am educated but I just it's really just infuriating let me just put it that way I've said just so many times I'm so like frazzled right now I'm frazzled yeah don't worry yeah. we got this. yeah but um I hope everybody enjoyed Thank learning you. today. If you liked this episode, please give us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening. Spotify and Apple Podcasts are the most helpful for our show traction. If you want to hear more from us, if I didn't uh, irritate you too much today, you can visit patreon.com slash podcast by proxy. Um, and we have some options for extras. There's different tiers to pick from bonus episodes in there somewhere um you can visit us on instagram at podcast by proxy it's where we're kind of the most active on socials or trying to get back to anyways true yeah thank you you are very educational so welcome and i hope to see everybody next week same bye Bye. i'll call you soon okay (gasps) okay bye bye How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. (laughs) Okay. Fuck me.